0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the MindWarp podcast. Uh, This is your host, M.P. Stratum, again, and uh, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for making the time to listen to MindWarp and to join us as we speak with interesting guests and opinion makers, movers and shakers in the world of digitization and digital transformation in the mining and natural resources industry. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that, that is the subject of much discussion, and that is the ability to understand what is going to happen on a mine um, that may impact on the next shift or that may impact on the short term plan or, or, or longer than that. And I think one of the most important skills that any company has to have, whether a mining company or anything else, is this ability to, to predict what's going to happen, whether that is happen in the market or happen in the actual mining operation. We all know about people who have this uncanny sixth sense about what's what's going to happen next, and uh, it is on that exact topic that I want to introduce our guest to you today. Our guest today is Hans Schill. Hans is global business manager for a brand called Sixth Sense Underground with Epiroc. and Epiroc, of course, needs little introduction to most listeners in the in the mining industry as a global manufacturer of uh, mining and construction equipment. We're very happy to have Hans on. Uh, Hans is uh, is an engineer with lots of experience initially in, uh, in Atlas Copco, of course, and then it turns to, uh, or, or that turned into Epiroc, as many of you will know. But before that, even with, uh, with Saab and so on. And I'm not going to introduce him much more. I'm going to welcome you to the uh, Mind World podcast, Hans, welcome. And uh, I'd love for you to, to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you, MP.
1: And uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to this uh, conversation that we're going to have. So a little bit about me and my background. I'm, as you said, an electrical engineer. I graduated from, from Ulebrug University in 1998. Seems like it's forever <laughs> ago. As you said, my first uh, position, my first job was with uh, a company that that later become a part of of Saab Aerospace, uh, the aircraft right. manufacturer. Uh, back then, we were working on uh, tactical data links for military aircrafts. Reflecting right now, it seems like that that's been the theme throughout my career, working with uh, how to make data more valuable than than yeah, and, and creating good insights from data. Back then, it was was all about sending radar pictures to fighter pilots; so they can see beyond the horizon. But um, yeah. same thing goes. For, for in the, yeah, same thing in the minor environment, that it's all about creating those insights, uh, get, getting the people that need that, that extra six cents uh, to be able to be a little bit more, a little bit better than the competition. As an electrical engineer, I worked with, with the radio system and uh, the challenges of having uh, maybe 15 different systems or a small aircraft uh, plane, making sure they don't disturb each other. But I, uh, as I got more experienced, I, I continued working with the integration to the command and control centers. And and taking on bigger and bigger projects in in, in that space. So much fun really. And, and also working with with other other countries than Sweden. I, I spent a fair bit of of my time down in in Middle East as well working with uh, uh, with their military surveillance systems, systems and and that's uh, of course, uh, seeing that culture and and being a part of something else was very interesting and uh, something that that I had with me throughout my career career, of course. <laughs> After that, I I joined uh, Atlas Copco, 2011. I started out in the in the surface division, who who developed and, and sold the uh, surface drill rigs, the crawler, crawler drill rigs, and one of the the most interesting product. And the, yeah, of course, this is the first time I got a I got exposed to the, to the mining customers and the mining uh, mining market at, at all. Being an, an engineer, I think I thought it was uh, was interesting and very inspiring to see the, the way we approach these new kind of uh, products uh, we were just uh, the, the first product i started was uh, our first remote product for those machines from an engineering perspective the technology has been there forever but but the first thing we did was to talk to i, I don't know we we uh, visited 10 to 15 customers talking about okay we have this technology what do you think we can do about it what, what problem does it solve for you which was uh yeah, of course, easy to understand. Safety was uh, was the main driver for most customers. We're having those machines near high walls and above old underground mines where you never know when, when a hole is gonna come up and, and swallow the rig. Uh, but then also <laughs> operational, of course. Uh to have one operator uh controlling two or three machines at the same time, of course, it's, uh, it's valuable as well. But but I, I really like the approach and I really like uh I think that's uh, that's something we 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 are doing good, but we of course should continue and doing even better to to be closer to our customers when we develop new things. After working with uh, with the surface crawler uh, drill rigs, I uh, I continue on to to start uh, managing a team of software developers developing the the rig control system, as we say, the onboard automation on the machines. Um, sure. So and and uh, reflecting a little bit on that, I think that. Now, when I'm working in the marketing department and closer to customers and all that, it, it's almost like we take that for granted. But, of course, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, knowledge and engineering and uh, expertise that goes into actually making these vehicles as good as they are. Even the onboard automation is is uh, quite complex, I would say. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I, I learned, learned, learned a lot from, from my years there that, that things don't happen overnight and it's… Uh, it takes a lot of passionate people to actually make it work and, and happen.
0: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. After that, I moved to. Uh, I got the opportunity to move to the US for a few years, starting up the, the regional application center in the US. Uh, just shortly about what, the, what the, those centers are all about. We started this. Uh, I'm guessing it's about 10 years ago. Um, back then, we 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 did have some some pretty smart machines and some smart systems. But we kind of got the feeling that, that both the customers and our sales companies out there weren't really adapting to the new technology quickly enough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, one way of, of uh, kind of boosting, boosting the, the technology change here was to, to send uh, the developers out there closer to customers, helping out with understanding how, how the machines work, the, the value it could give to them, and, and also bringing invaluable feedback back to the development, of course.
0: Uh, so, that, so that was, was... That the purpose of the regional application centers to to uh, to put technical uh, technically savvy people really close to the customer in order to understand those needs and then develop al- almost uh, local solutions for specific customers.
1: It's both ways, both both local solutions uh, a little bit, but then then also feeding back to the to the the main development teams as well uh, what the customer actually right. are saying, what's working and what's not working. And then that that worked very well in Australia. So we expanded the concept to Chile and Canada, uh, and then to South Africa, U.S. And now the, the last couple of years, we also have centers in Russia, uh, China, wow. and uh, more important Sweden. So, And we continue to grow this concept. Of course, it's, it's just not developers uh, nowadays. We realized that there's other competences that are needed. Uh, data analytics, uh, network specialists, project automation engineers, and, and those kind of competences yeah. we have. Uh, all around the world, close to our customers, I think, is the is the main concept. That's
0: an important point. Uh, just before you, 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 you continue, do you think that, um, or, or do you find that customers are investing more and more in those skills themselves? Or is this still something that they outsource to technology companies you know, such as what you're trying to pr- provide here? So
1: you you can't really say that, that every customer is the same. I think we see, see a little bit of both, actually. But of course, the, okay. the fact that we we decided to put these kind of competences out there, especially network specialists, tells mm. you that we we do meet a lot of customers that that wants our help wants help with this. Sure. Uh, and sure. from from the EPROX side of things, we also recently acquired uh, network specialist companies to help us out within this space. When when we come with our with our solutions that are depending on other things, infrastructure is one of the most important ones, and uh, they yeah. also want our help with, with getting that right. Um, wow. And and as you know, when you're starting to, to go into remote and, and autonomous functions, then then the network is is vital. If that doesn't work, then then nothing works. So we, we, need, we really
0: need to be on top of this. And then you um, moved on to, uh, to, to the specific global business manager role that you're in right now.
1: Exactly. So uh, yeah, early this summer, I moved back to Sweden with the family and then and started this position here in the underground marketing department. For for all my career, I've been pretty certain what to do, but but after be spending some time in the U.S., I wasn't really sure what the next step is going to be. Started thinking about wow. okay, so what 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 am I passionate about? And and that's uh, that's basically working with people and working with technology, and and here I can do
0: both. So that's this is a almost a dream job for me. That's um, incredible, and of course, you know, it's it's a it's a position that that requires people that can both understand technology at a detailed level such as your engineering background allows you to do but also to translate that that technology skill and engineering skill into uh, into b- valuable business propositions and that's why i i like the the marketing heavy approach that that you bring to the picture
1: i, I do find my experience is pretty coming come very handy here as you say having the, the <laughs> technical background but also I see the drawbacks of having an engineering-heavy company. Also, that we develop a lot of things, or at least historically, we we have done that. That doesn't get used by customers. It isn't as useful as we thought. We we, we haven't always been as close to customers as
0: we as we should be. Do you see? Uh, well, I'm sure that you do see that there's a a massive move towards automation. Uh, not only automation of of a specific machine, but but automation of the of the mining process. So automated mining, I'm sure. And of course, a big part of that is is just understanding what the current status of the mining environment and the equipment and 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 the mining process itself is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course. I, I like to see it as a stepwise process. Really, that that the, the first step. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but. But of course, uh, the, the first thing you, you do, you do is, is get data from the machine. Now, how did you actually do? According and uh, comparing that to the plan you had, and then you can start uh, yeah. automating functions and getting uh, more consistent operations. And then, then you implement this uh, tele remote functionality, and then all of a sudden you have a machine that can do things on their own. And you you progress through the automation levels and have an, an autonomous machine. Uh, and in parallel with that, of course, all the system integrations and the, and the process automations. Uh, so yeah, of course, the general trend we see.
0: but sixth sense the solution or I should say the the brand within Epenop uh, has much more to do about about understanding what is going on inside of the shift and understanding what the implications are of of those realities and uh, than it has to do with necessarily automating a, a mining vehicle or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. So Hans, of course, Epiroc as, a, as an equipment manufacturer, uh, like many other equipment manufacturers and even the commercial you know, vehicle manufacturers, everyone from Datsun to Volvo nowadays, you can hardly buy a car that is not chock and block full of technology. And so Epiroc is also uh, in, investing heavily in, in both R&D as well as, as you mentioned, you know, growing through acquisitions and so on. In this world of digital, and and a part of that was the establishment of the of the Sixth Sense uh, business line or, or, or brand. Why don't you tell us just a little bit more about Six Sense itself? My
1: favorite topic. So Six Sense at its core, I guess, is uh, uh, our our ele- elevated pitch. is It's our way to to optimize our customers' value chain by using automation system integration and information management. And into that goes digitalization. Uh, the overall goal, of course, is to, to create an as safe and efficient operation as possible for our customers. That's the overall message of what, what Sixth Sense is. The content is, of course, all our products within those areas. We have our automation product, we have our, our data products. Uh, nowadays, we also have uh, system integration uh, systems and, and things like that, that 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 helps us. But But in the concept, I would say there's also embedded a, a, a customer focused mindset that we proactively seek to, to uh, uh, create partnerships and collaborate very closely with our customers. Uh, nowadays, it's not uh, as much about selling selling the, the specific machine, even though we do that as well. Uh, but when it comes to those, these more technologically heavy systems and machines for the customers to really benefit and, and get the real value out of those, we, we need to be with them for a longer period of time to, to really help them use the machines in the right way. You don't go from a from a simple manual machine to, to our most advanced uh, autonomous machine and and behave the same way. A lot of things around that machine well, needs to
0: change as well for, for it to be. When I've heard you talk about Six Sense before, and if you go onto the uh, APROC website and read about it, um, there are these three legs, the insight, analyze, and control legs of Sixth Sense. Why don't you tell us a little bit more maybe about each one of those and, and about how they contribute towards not only optimizing the efficiency of the machine but really uh, collaborating together to make a mine more productive
1: yes of course uh, so it's actually uh, the, the the three different steps are insight control and optimize it's also embedded in, in the same sixth sense concept you can say it's a, a continuous process that you Go through these three steps of insight control and optimize and then then you start over it's a never ending process really and uh uh just uh, yeah begin with insight that that's where everything starts to uh yeah. kind of lift a bit of the mind to see what's actually happening down there is the starting point of everything when when you start monitoring things if, even by just monitoring things uh you, you usually get an improvement we have seen that with customers that actually improve the productivity with 10 to 15% just by showing them what the machines actually are doing. Think about yourself. If, if, if you knew that someone actually was watching what, what you did every day and, and could measure that, I, I think you, you would put a little bit more effort into actually being more efficient. And not saying that that people are lazy or anything, but when you know that you're being measured and you can actually see your own uh, productivity sure. or your performance, then, then you, you tend to, to want to improve that.
0: So, so this is as much a behavior tool as it is a, a, a technology monitoring tool, isn't it?
1: Exactly, you're absolutely right. At, at its simplest shape, it's it's just uh, collecting the machine data to see uh, how how the machine is performing according to plan. But you can also, of course, add situational awareness uh, tools and other things that that does this that on a, on a bigger level as well.
0: So, so that's on the inside part, um, you know, knowing what's going on uh, with with a machine, and and of course, uh, lots of environmental sensors that can be added these days and so on. But then there's the control part from a control perspective. What does Sigfin's uh, and and its portfolio of of uh, capabilities achieve?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. The next step is is control, and and the control phase is is uh, really more about uh, creating a. Uh, a predictable, predictable, and, and consistent operation. Yeah, of course, the products we have to support is is, is basically automation uh, products where you a machine usually does something a little bit more predictable than a human does, uh, and over time more efficient as well. Uh, but but really, the goal of this phase is is to is to create a, a consistent operation so you have a baseline that you really know to be able to take the next step later on
0: are we talking about controlling the machine or contro- controlling maybe a fleet of machines with, within the mine
1: yeah all, all of it and and then on a on a lower level i would say that even the yeah let's say you have a production drill rig and, and that machine can drill a, a fan of holes by itself uh even that creates right. a, a more predictable results both for, for the quality
0: but also yeah how long it's going to take and, and so forth so yeah so i said it's of the machine and and, and the tasks those tasks that the machine can do automatically uh, under the control banner and then there's uh, of course the, the the planning of what the machine should be doing and the and the wider context of you know what the mind wants to achieve and and all of those will fall under the broader rubric of planning and control is that right
1: yeah that's right that's right and and you can also add a short interval control and and uh, things like that to that uh, to that bucket as well
0: It's not only about making the machine more uh, efficient, but it's also looking at making sure that we have optimal availability of maybe the whole fleet of, of the machines, keeping things like maintenance and production in balance and a host of capabilities like that
1: yeah it's a, it's a different from from every case really it depends on where you're starting from. Uh, sometimes it, it's it's actually good enough just to to uh, make make sure the machine drills the holes in a predictable way but but sometimes when when you achieve that goal and and gone through this process a few times, then it's time to look at the at the bigger bigger scope of things. and then of course the uh, the fleet management and 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 everything else on the high levels uh, you can do the same there.
0: So Hans, says I'm sitting here and recording this, I, I'm actually experiencing a bit of uh, communications issues, which is, of course, a very typical issue that underground mining companies have, and that mm-hmm. is underground communication. So <laughs> I want to ask you, is that a typical uh, implementation blocker that you experience that, that companies want to be able to to have that in-shift insight as well as the ability to control that communication seems to be a big problem underground.
1: Yeah, so talking about the insight on the blockers we see there, of course, it's, uh, uh, you know, you probably know this better than I am, but, but uh, it's, it's all about uh, getting the data in right of the front people at the right time. And, and, and nowadays, we, in an underground mine, you have data in a lot of places, but uh, those places can be very isolated. Uh, it, you know, the, the data quality can, can be unreliable. Um, but also the structure of the data is, is sometimes a problem. That it's that it's hard to to use data from two da- different data sources because the, the structure is different, and it's that that I would say is is one of the blockers,
0: at least. To get your hands on the data, but there's also the ability to understand that data and see it within the context of what's going on in the rest of the mine, in order to understand what should be done in the control phase and optimize. For sure. So when you talk about optimization, what is it typically that you that you're asked to improve?
1: A bunch of different things. Uh, usually, the, 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 ca- the cases we, we talk about is is almost every time starts with safety, and and then uh, ends up uh, actually solving that safety feature, and then uh, also uh, adding on productivity. And then the next time you go through this continuous cycle of inside control optimize, we we look at uh, removing bottlenecks and, and improving efficiencies and, and productivity. I would say that safety is, is, is usually the the, the first uh, first question we get. That there's an unsafe area of the mine, or you have a whole blockade mine that's unsafe, but they still want to continue production, or uh, things like that.
0: Uh, you mentioned maybe one one or two clients at which you've done implementations of uh, of things and some of the outcomes that you were able to achieve. Can you give it maybe an example?
1: Yeah, sure. I have a few examples. I To start with, uh, when I'm thinking about the, the optimization part and what we usually do, I'd like to, to talk about a project that we did with a customer here in Sweden uh, where we optimized the, the bolting functionality. In many, many of these Sixth Sense projects, we also implement uh, new automation features or uh, tele-remote functionality, but in this case, we didn't. So we got approached by this customer, and they said that, yeah, we, we, we think we have a problem with the bolters. We think that, that that's our bottleneck. So what we did was, uh, yeah, implement our telematic solutions so we could actually see what, what's was going on in the mine. At the time, this is, is, is a few years ago. That the quality of the data wasn't really, uh, really 100%. So, so we also spent a lot of time in the mine, uh, working with the operators, uh, following them around to to actually see what was happening down there, and and uh, just by doing having that approach to to be willing to spend the time with the customer and actually hearing and seeing what's what's happening. Uh, we we came up with with a few different solutions. Uh, I remember one of those was to to move the the bolt storage closer to the machines. And in the end, we we achieved quite a big improvement of productivity down
0: there w- without really applying that much new technology. So so very often it is about using technology to maybe point out where traditional p- blockers or, or or obstacles exist within the n- normal mining process, and, and it's not necessarily digital solutions but it's digital means of discovering uh, mechanical solutions <laughs> or process solutions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It kind of goes into the the, the process and the change management uh, as well. But and, and and nowadays, I think we have uh, the, the quality of the data we get from machines and our systems are, are so much better and, and the tools available to us are are better than it was back then. So, so probably we don't have to spend that much time in the mine, but I do think that that, that approach and that, uh willingness and and the mindset that we we really wanna we really wanna understand it's uh, it's one thing sitting in the office and and try and, and think that you know what's happening uh, yeah. that that's good enough you for sure can get some insight that way, but you you really need to be close to the
0: operation from an adoption perspective, is there a pushback from operators to to the intrusion of digital solutions within the Within the cab, or or do you find that uh, that the adoption is, is typically very smooth? Oh, that's a that's
1: a good question. And as always, I think we see see it both ways. Uh, usually, when you when you're about to implement something something that monitors the the operators or, or the machines uh, somehow, you you find that you find some people that there are very happy about it and very interested and and uh, uh, really are into it because they 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 truly wanna want to improve the performance and, and uh, do better for the company but but you also on the other hand yeah. have the people that think that they're better than the machines all the times so, uh, and and, <laughs> and sometimes in, in, in the mix of course it's, it's boring the machine does everything by itself what am i gonna do uh, yeah. and into that goes the uh, yeah so in a few years will i have a job anymore so uh, of course there, oh. there's all kinds of uh, of obstacles to, to overcome and, and feelings to take care
0: about the interesting thing on that is that we find, as we speak to uh, to companies around the world, that the number of people that are employed by the company when they go heavily mechanized or even automated doesn't necessarily decrease, but it is a skills base that changes over time to more knowledge workers, maybe people who are able to interpret the signals that uh, are received from underground and so on, and maybe less of the of the hands on. Uh, uh people but the most successful companies have been able to take that built-in skill of the operator and and take the operator and make them and an operations oversight person that can add that much more detail just simply because they know exactly what the machine is supposed to be doing uh, because they used to be the one who did it with the machine yeah of course of course in the next step of course
1: you have new generations of, of uh, workers coming and and uh I do think uh, everyone sees that uh, less and less people are interested in being down in a dark mine all, all days, and and, uh, and and finding good operators gets harder and harder. So, so for, for companies to be successful even in the future, of course, it's. Uh, I think you need to jump
0: on this train now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Hans. We can carry on and, and and talk about this for a long time still. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I want to, to close the uh, the, the discussion just because we're out of time. And we always do that uh, by asking our guests, what are you reading? What's on your bedside table at the moment?
1: Yeah, and I, I'd like the opportunity to talk about two different books, actually. What's on my bedside table right now is a, is a book I just started reading, but I'm looking forward to it. It's called The Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by Richard Rummelt. Uh,
0: and okay. it's.
1: Uh, it, uh, yeah, so far, it's it's been about the different, uh, different uh, big cases and the strategies to solve those. And, and some, some good and some bad strategies, of course. And it's very interesting to see how different approaches are successful and, and why they're not sometimes. The, the other book that I was really impressed about that I thought about mentioning here is the book called Intelligent Automation by Pascal the embarking in Josh and Wirtz. I'm not sure if you read that one, but it's, it's talking about
0: uh-huh.
1: how automation is transforming the world and and the almost philosophical impact it could have if we utilized it to the full extent it also describes the different technologies in a quite good way uh, everything from uh, machine learning to uh, ai to yeah all yeah. those kind of things and a lot of a lot of cases where that has been used successfully as well uh, that is a really mm. good one i enjoyed reading a year ago or something like that yeah that sounds
0: really really interesting uh, we've got Previous podcasts, uh, one with uh, MyNRP's Sinisa Vukovic, who is an artificial intelligence and machine learning specialist uh, in MyNRP. And of course, that's in the broader EPIROC uh, group as well. And then uh, two weeks ago, we had a very interesting episode as well with uh, Dr. Ali from, uh who is uh, AI program leader for Vale. And uh, those of our listeners who maybe have missed that uh, episode, is, you know, you'll do well to go back and listen to that because he gives some very practical applications of artificial intelligence in the mining industry uh Anse, thank you so much for coming on and, and spending time with us um, I'd love to have you back on uh, maybe and and to to go into a little bit more technical details for those of our uh, guests who are interested in the uh, in the way that um, that Epirox digital solutions and then specifically um for the underground uh, mining disciplines uh, adds value if listeners wants to know more they can just go to epidoc.com. is that right
1: yeah that is right that is right we have a, a quite good good descriptions of six cents uh, on our external web page and of course it's always uh, you can always contact me directly as well
0: fantastic thank you so much for being our guest hans and uh, we look forward to chatting soon again
1: yeah thanks for having me Take care.